You're listening to the Hearts Unleashed podcast, where we firmly believe that love is the answer and we are spreading it like wildfire. You're invited to come spend time with us in authentic connection, growth, reflection, and celebration. Life coach, author, and speaker, Abigail Gazda, will be sharing amazing humans living their hearts unleashed to inspire you to do the same. You will hear from men, women, and young people from all industries sharing their insights and inspiration as they have paved their way to their fullest lives. Here at the Hearts Unleashed podcast, we are turning dreamers into doers. So if you are ready to open your heart and take inspired action on your dreams, you are in the perfect place with wonderful people. Here's your host, dreamer, educator, and adventurer, Abigail Gazda. Hey, 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 you guys, you are listening to the Hearts Unleashed podcast where we are turning dreamers into doers. And I am so excited to share with you today my guest, Misty Lane, the author of What Goes Up. And uh, we ha- it is a open-ended title so that we can start to understand what goes up and where it goes. <laughs> from beauty pageants to black eyes, Misty Lane went from becoming a prominent surgeon to facing 40 years in prison after her horrific ca- cocaine addiction forced her to rock bottom when she took the life of another human being. In prison, she found strength in writing and developed a four-step cope equals hope method, which walks you through releasing toxic guilt, shame, and anger. She believes that self-forgiveness and love is the key to true joy and inner peace, not depending on others for validation. After her prison release, she humbly rebuilt her career in nuclear medicine and speaks fervently with passion to finally shout to the world that raw truth of the ugly, dark secrets that she spent so many years hiding is the key to freedom. Her mission statement is to find love and be yourself. Pull yourself up. By sharing her story of redemption, she hopes to educate and inspire a movement to judge less and mentor more. Thank you so much for being with us, Misty. How are you today? I'm blessed. Thank you so much for having me. Mm, I love that answer, blessed. (laughs) Um, And you're blessed today, but tell us, you've had quite the journey to have that answer today. So tell us a little bit about your story. Well, my story is one of, uh, of being a survivor. I have overcome my worst, my definite worst, to live, to learn, to live and become my best. So that's where I'm at today is living, um, living by the life lessons that I've learned along the way, because I believe that is what the, the, the nugget that we take away from our adversity is what do we do with it now? Now that we're through it, are we going to use it to help others? Do we sit on it? Do we hide in fear behind it? What do we do with it? So after a 12 year period of hiding in fear of judgment, I am now using it to educate others. Got it. And, you know, you share that you spent time in prison, that, that there was a big situation that happened. And so, and you just mentioned a 12 year period. How, tell us about that 12 year journey. Um, The 12 year journey actually came post my prison time. That was the time after I'd written a book that I sat on it. But if you want to back up a little bit, I can share with the listeners my story. Yes. Um, so I was, I grew up in a Southeast Texas town. I didn't want for much. I was pretty, uh, pretty motivated, high, kind of a high achiever kid, if you will. I had a lot of pressure on myself to succeed. 
Um, I was in the Texas beauty pageant system, so I learned at a very young age the power that winning gave me. When they put that crown on my head at four years old, I remember thinking, wow, everyone's clapping for me, and that was powerful. I thrived on that power, and I got to the point where I needed, I needed the validation constantly. Um, I knew I wanted to be a surgeon. I had made that decision since I was about 13, and I was on a mission and a plan to do it. I ended up marrying my college sweetheart pretty early in life, and we started a family. We had two beautiful daughters together, and he and I got married on September 18th, and that's a very relevant date. So I want you to remember that date, September 18th. Mm -hmm. um, after 10 years, I had gotten my undergrad degree, um, psychology, chemistry, and nuclear medicine, and I had applied and gotten accepted into medical school, and I was on my journey. And that's when I found out he had gotten a woman pregnant and had been committing adultery. And it just devastated me. I mean, it really took me to a place where I was angry, first of all, because I felt like now this 10-year marriage was just a lie. And second of all, I was hurt. And I was vulnerable and depressed. And of course, you know, that whole perfectionism thing I had going on with the, with the pageantry is if he cheated, it must be my fault. Like, I must be the reason. I wasn't good enough, pretty enough, smart enough, funny enough, whatever. It was me. So I went out on this quest just to find validation from anybody that I was. You know, anybody that said I was pretty, smart, funny. I mean, I was all about it. And I was looking for loyalty because at that point, you know, I was pretty devastated. I ended up dating a guy that um, had a cocaine addiction. I didn't know it at the time. A few months into the relationship, we were on our way to a Dallas Cowboys football game for his birthday, and he stopped on the side of the road and pulled out and did a line of cocaine with a dollar bill wrapped up. And I mean, I'd seen drugs, you know, in college. Uh, they, there was always that one special room that everybody, you know, the druggies would go to, and I just never went into that room. Um, I was the good girl growing up. I, I was hit by a drunk driver when I was 15. So I was anti-drugs. I mean, I drank a few times. I might have smoked pot a few times early in college, but it was never really my scene. So my first response to him was, no, I don't do drugs. And I'm really surprised I didn't even know he was doing them. He's like, well, I mean, just try it. And so here's what happened to me. I had a moment of choice, and I didn't respect that choice. I was 31 years old. I was educated. I had a family, two beautiful daughters I was raising. I was a very responsible person, and I'm sitting on the side of the road with choice. And like I said, I did not respect the choice. Now, number one is, and this is why I'm so passionate about education. Yes, I knew drugs were bad. I was not educated on cocaine addiction. I wasn't educated on crack cocaine addiction and like the actual what goes on during the addiction. I just knew drugs were bad. So I chose to, to try it. I said, well, okay. I did everything right for 10 years and it got me here and my heart's broken. So let me see what this is about. I tried it and it gave me an escape where perfectionism, adultery, um, you know, all those things, failure, whatever I was internalizing, none of those matter in this place. And I had been using little Debbie zebra cakes. I guess I would say that's my first addiction. Yeah. Um, to kind of fill that void, you know, um, when he cheated, I felt very deficient. I felt very, I don't even know the words. I wasn't full, like, like something was wrong with me, broken. So I was using food. It became my, my filler upper. Like if you run out of gas, you know, I'm refilling up. 
and that gave me pleasure. So now I found cocaine, which gave me an escape, and it's even a higher level, so 50,000 times what a zebra cake will do for you. <laughs> and so I started it out as a it's a pretty controlled thing. Uh, weekends, you know, when my kids were with their dad or um, when they were off with the grandparents or whatever, I could I could handle that. But then after about two months or so, he introduced me to crack cocaine. And now that's a whole, whole other devil. I had never smoked and didn't even know how to get the, the smoke in my lungs. And it took me quite a bit to learn the technique. Once I had perfected that technique, I was a full-blown 100% crack addict. And I mean, it happened that fast. And again, um, any disease, I mean, any kind of addiction is gonna be progressive, anything. And so it started out somewhat manageable, but within a year's time, my family didn't recognize me. I didn't know who I was anymore. I was laying, I mean, here's some, here's a nugget of truth for you, because I'm all about transparency, but Here's a nugget of truth of how bad it got and how fast it got there. I had a nuclear medicine career, and I would literally be up for days because I would smoke crack all night long when my kids were asleep and work during the day, go to school, you know. So I would literally lay down in the bathroom on the nasty bathroom floor of the hospital and sleep in between injecting my patients because I couldn't keep my eyes open. I mean, that's how bad it got. It got to the point where I'd have to go outside in the parking lot to my car and take a hit of crack to stay awake throughout my shift. Then it got to the point I would go home for lunch and smoke crack, and then I'd be an hour late coming back if I came back at all. The thing about addiction, guys, is it takes you. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what neighborhood you're from. It doesn't matter if you're educated or not. If you open that door, it's going to come in, and it's going to get you. And it's going to take you down because it becomes jealous. It didn't want to share me with my family, my friends, my job. It wanted everything. And it wasn't going to settle till I had my soul. So I was pretty much in over my head. I knew it. I called my parents and I said, okay, and I need to go to rehab. They knew something was wrong. They never in a million years suspected drugs. Um, and that, let me just stop right there for a second. I don't want to derail too much, but that was also a big thing. You know, when you hold your kids to certain expectations and put them on a pedestal, um, it's great to instill confidence, but it's also a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. And I'm not blaming my parents because I put a lot of the pressure on myself, but when everyone in my family said, oh no, not Misty, it's like, wait a minute well, why not, Misty? Am I not human? And that would almost make me want to be bad. It would almost make me want to screw up just because I got so tired of having to be perfect or appear perfect. You mm. know, I just wanted to be bad. Mm. And so I, I showed them. I showed them all, let me tell you. Mm. Um, so I went to rehab, um, got out. It worked for a while, you know, off and on. I've been in and out of so many rehabs. Um, I ended up falling in love with my drug dealer. Um, he said the serenity prayer to me one morning when I called into work, I was crying because I knew I was about to lose my job and my career and everything else. And he held me really tight, rocked me and, and said the serenity prayer. And I'd never really heard it. And I thought it was so beautiful. And I just fell in love with that. You know, 
here he was a drug dealer. He was also smoking and he wanted off of the drugs as well. So we decided together that we could conquer it. And we did a geographical move um, to a whole nother state, picked up and left. And um, there's a whole nother story. I don't have time for all of it, but there's a whole nother <laughs> story of how we even got out of town. But he, um, we stayed off the drugs. We moved to Austin, Texas. We stayed off the drugs for about three months. And that's when he hit me for the first time. He punched me in the face after the phone rang and he, and it was a hang up call, which, you know, back when you had the landlines, that was pretty common. And he assumed it was some kind of secret code. I was screwing somebody or doing something. So he went into a, a jealous rage and he punched me in the face. Um, I did the right thing. I kicked his butt out. And what happened was he came back two hours later with and he knew, see, this was the cycle he created with me. He knew that he could inflict the pain and then bring me the pain reliever. And that would be his way back in the house to stay with me. And because I was the money, you know, I was the one that had a good job. So as long as I could hold a job, I always had plenty of money for us to get out. So he was going to protect that, you know, and controlling me was how he did it. Um, I have to say, when you hear the end of my story, you'll see the things I've been through, but out of everything, I think the domestic abuse has by far been the hardest to recover from. Those scars run so deep in me. They're so embedded in, in my soul, in my mind, in my, my spirit. I mean, he broke me. He completely broke me. I didn't even realize how broken I was um, until I was incarcerated. And, you know, some of the girls would say, well, what kind of music do you listen to? And I'd have to think, I don't know. He always determined, you know, what kind of food do you want to order from commissary? I don't know, because he always dictated everything. And to go from Miss Texas Teen, one of the runner-ups, you know, having an honor and respect from people to go to this woman that is scared to speak words because I might get hit, that a woman that wants to hide behind a car in a parking lot because of the way her husband's talking to her, I'm so shamed by it or at the time he was my boyfriend. I mean, that's a pretty drastic fall. And I, I, I was out of control. I was just out of control. Uh, I didn't care anymore. I gave up. So I was doing whatever out there. I was just at this point, my kids were bouncing all around. And, you know, I, I just, I just gave up. And we were committing crime, writing checks, running credit cards, whatever we had to do to stay high. Because at this point, I'd already lost my job. You know, I was pretty much just out there on the drugs 24-7. So they knocked on our door, busted our door in, hauled us to jail because we were on the wanted on the local news for a check I had written at a casino. And... Um, took us to jail. He had other charges in another state, so they extradited him far away. I bonded out. Um, this was kind of the beginning of the end right here um, because now I bonded out. I thought I was strong. I went to meet my bondsman to sign the paperwork and went by my house to check on my house, and the cops had left the crack pipe, the lighter, and a big old rock of crack cocaine sitting right on the bathroom counter. They left it there. So the first thing I do when I see it is like, it's an automatic response. It's just a physical thing. I don't even think about it. I didn't have any premeditation thoughts of going and getting high. I was actually not wanting to, but I saw that. I picked it up. I started getting high. Once I started getting high, there was no going back home. You don't, it, once you, you know, with crack, it's hit after hit after hit. Your body craves it so much. 
the serotonin levels give you such a high. As soon as they drop, you, ha- you want more and more and more. So stopping and just going home is never, never really was an option for me. I was either chased down by the cops, chased down by my family, found by my friend, or my drug dealer would take me home and drop me off in front of my door because they knew, like, for instance, Christmas morning, I was crying. I wanted to be home with my kids. But yet here I was out scoring dope. And she said, Misty, what are you doing? She put me in her car and took me home. They said, get out and put the money back in my hand that I'd given her. She said, go home, be with your kids. That's how bad, that's how far out it took me. And that's relevant because I want, again, I'm passionate about education. I speak raw truth. I speak in transparency because if I truly want to help someone, if I truly believe in my heart, that education is the key, we have to tell these true, honest accounts because people don't know what they're signing up for. I'm telling you, I had no clue sitting on the side of the road that day what I was headed for. I had no idea what it was going to do to my life and my family and the people around me. I mean, it took me to a place that the darkest place I could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And So that mission that I set out on that day, when I found that in my house, I was up four days straight. I was in a town I didn't know because I I would always drive far away from the town I lived because my family was always hunting me down all hours of the night looking for me. So I picked up a couple of girls, uh, prostitutes on the side of the road because I knew they could score the dope for me. Um, They saw me as a target, an easy target, and decided they were going to attack and rob me punched me in the face, broke my glasses, um, jumped out of the car with my purse. Of course, I turned the car around, sped out of that neighborhood as fast as I could. The only way I knew out was the way I'd come in to get out of there. As I drove back past them, they threw a brick at my car. I flinched and swerved. I lost control of my car. I started sliding sideways down the road, and I ran into a parked vehicle in the driveway. There was a woman standing on the other side of it in her yard. And the vehicle that I hit struck her. It knocked her into her house and it killed her. So I woke up in the emergency room with my mom over me, crying, weeping. And I I opened my eyes and I said, Mom, I'm okay. I mean, I knew I had been in a wreck, but that's all I knew. I never saw the woman standing in the yard. I couldn't have stopped my car if I had. Um, But I had no idea. And I reached up to hold my mom to to console her and let her know I was okay. And I felt that that cold, angry feel wrapped around my wrist. And I knew right then, okay, something bad here has happened. I was chained to the gurney. And the detective came out of the shadow of the corner and he said, you can tell her. So my own mother had to tell me, honey, you killed somebody. And it was like my gurney became quicksand and I was sinking and, and just being enveloped by it. I, all the breath was coming out of my lungs. And then I passed out. The next recollection I have was about three days later, because after being up on a, on a mission like that, you got to sleep. I remember waking up in jail and I felt guilty with every single breath that I took. I didn't feel like I deserved to live. Um, I wasn't sure that I wanted to live or even know how I was going to live without the cocaine anymore in my system. So this was definitely my rock bottom. This is where it all hit me. And I realized, okay, you just killed somebody. I mean, somebody's dead, you know, because of that choice you made. 
on the side of the road that day. Here's where you are. And it was tough. I'm telling you that that was tough. Um, I have two daughters and a son. My oldest daughter was 18 at the time, and I had just missed her high school graduation. But yet, you know, she still loved me. My kids have loved me through everything I've done to them. And I was incarcerated, so I didn't get to go to her graduation. And she sent me a letter, and she said, Mama, this was an accident. This isn't who you are. You have to forgive yourself. You've got to write everything down that's haunting you the things that keep you up at night, write them down, pray on them, and give them away. And I did. I, my daughter's parenting me, you know, and I take her advice, and I write them down. And it gave me, and I actually have a, a writing guide now called the Toxic Dump that, that does this exercise. But mm. what that did is it allowed me to lower that wall of shame. It, it gave me enough release just to get that wall of shame down enough to where I could see inside what I was hurting from, where I needed the help, what the therapy I needed to do, what I was trying, the voids I was trying to fill. And by lowering that wall, I could start doing the work. I could start healing. So I started writing. I didn't have an outline. I didn't say, okay, I'm going to write a book. I ordered a pad from commissary, some pens, and I just started writing whatever came out. And that is the therapy that saved my life right there. Now, the district attorney got wind, which is my prosecutor. This is unheard of. He got wind of this story I had written, and he came to visit me. And I was facing a vehicular homicide, 40-year sentence. He said, okay, I know your story now. What's happened? What, what can we do, Missy? This, you know, you were supposed to be a surgeon. What, what can we do to help you? And I said, I don't know. I've tried everything. I've done rehab, I've done inpatient, outpatient, intensive, psychotherapy. I, I've done everything I know to do. He said, we're gonna do what we can to help you. He went back to the judge. They reduced my sentence to negligent homicide, which only carried a five-year sentence. Um, and I got the max sentence, did two and a half actual years of incarceration. Now that was a blessing in many ways because my nuclear medicine license um, would have been, um, canceled because vehicle homicide was a violent crime. Negligent homicide is a nonviolent accidental death. So that saved my license. Um, I got out of prison. I started rebuilding my life, my career again. Um, and my daughter calls me and let me go back. The wreck happened again, September 18th. There's that date again. That's the mm -hmm. day the wreck happened. So my daughter calls me nine years post prison. I'm doing great. I'm working back in nuclear medicine. I never went back to medical school, um, but I still had my career in nuclear medicine to fall on and was working really hard at rebuilding, you know, trust and responsibility. My daughter called me and said they were pregnant with my first grandbaby. And this was after they'd waited about nine years. And she was due on September 18th. So I'm thinking God has replaced this life I thought I stole you know, and it's beautiful. And my grandbaby, Eliana, will be four in September, on September 18th. <sighs> However, she um, had some issues coming through the birth canal, and she was deprived of oxygen. So my sweet little Eliana came out severely brain damaged. And she's blind and she's deaf. Um, she can't suck. She doesn't cry. She has a feeding tube and her temperature drops from down to 93 degrees because her hypothalamus is damaged. And um, 
the first couple of months of her life, I would hold her and feel so disconnected because I was guilt-ridden. See, I was letting my past convince me that that was my fault. I, I actually believed that I, I caused it. That was my punishment. And then that's kind of when it turned around for me because I said, okay, wait a minute. The God I know isn't like that, number one. And then number two is I remembered that when I was in rehab, they told us only 3% of us would ever see the other side of this crack cocaine addiction. And I stopped in my tracks and I looked around. I said, wait a minute, you know what? I'm standing here at 3% or right now. I had been clean for nine years, you know? And I thought, oh my gosh, you're strong, Misty. You have all this inner power and strength in you. And God saved you for a reason that day, you know? And that's when I stepped into my purpose and realized I had an obligation to go out there and help all those other people be three percenters too and show them that they could do it and that nobody else needed to die. And I took my book that I had written in jail, which was very angry, a dark, dark tone, full of blame, um, and I rewrote it. I rewrote it from a place of accountability, a place of forgiveness. Because I thought, okay, I can put a book out with emotional vomit. Everybody's got their own story full of that stuff. But I wanted a book with solution. I wanted a book of inspiration. So I rewrote it with that. So not only do you get the raw, the real about what goes on, but you're also getting some solutions to how you can start to pull yourself up out of it. And that's where I am today. It came out. It made bestseller. I've been traveling all over speaking. Uh, uh, I'm putting my heart and my soul into education because I, I want to prevent the addiction. I want to prevent the domestic abuse. I'm not, I'm not trying to pull people out of it that are in it because they, those people have to be in a right place to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to focus on educating so we can judge less and mentor more. The person I was before all of this was a judgmental, very entitled person. And now I'm, I have empathy, I have compassion, and I'm grateful for the experiences I've lived through because now I see the world in a whole other way. And, you know, not only that, everything that, that my kids got drugged through, it's made them strong, independent, resilient. They're ready. They're ready with whatever. I mean, look at my oldest daughter, Lauren, with her, with my grandbaby. She's the best mom in the world. She is a superhero by every definition because Eliana requires 24-7 care. And they don't, her and her husband, they don't sleep. Um, they give her everything she needs. And, you know, she's strong. And who knows why I went through what I did, but I know that we're going to focus on the positives that have come from it and not dwell on the negative. I am no longer going to let my past hold me hostage from my future. I'm done. Yeah. And that's it. That's where I am today. Oh, I was going to say, I think we could wrap up the episode right here. <laughs> that yeah, was, it, I mean, and I, I tease, but thank you for, thank you for giving us a real version yeah. of your history. Not like, oh, I went through some shit and now I'm good. You went there and just, yeah. just thank you. And thank you for taking us all the way through it. Cause I could go back and ask certain questions, but I really want to, number one, acknowledge you because, you know, 
you have about 97 different examples about why you could bury your head in the sand right now and just forget about living the rest of your life. And, and you don't, and no one could truly provide that choice, could make that choice for you, but you. And you shared a few examples of how you made it to your rock bottom to really to for, for, uh, make a once and for all type of decision, you know, and, and I, I really want to, so I acknowledge you for sharing so authentically and, and really telling us about what you've been through and up against and where you are right now and where it's brought you because what I want to talk about is your, cause I'm with you on the, the hearts unleashed podcast. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily about fixing you. You got to want it. You got to be ready. Your rock bottom will do the waking up. <laughs> but mm-hmm. what you're talking about is that preventative maintenance, that education. And I love what you say about judge less mentor more because mm-hmm we are so quick to judge. We were raised in judgment and like to no fault of our, the last generation, everybody does what they know to do or what they have an example of, but judgment has been something that we lead with. We judge people in the first 2.5 seconds. We look at them. And so love, love, love your movement and your mission and your message. And so now in your career, you're, you've written a book, you're speaking, you're getting out there. We're going to talk in a little while. You're coming up on a TV show. And so it's, you're really putting yourself out there to educate people. So if people could walk away with one message from your story, what would you want them to walk away with? I would want them to walk away knowing that self-forgiveness is a vital part of any kind of healing. You have to forgive yourself. And if you want others to forgive you, you have to forgive others too. Ooh, thank you. (laughs) You said a few different things that led to um, that self-forgiveness piece, like the power of choice right? And really allowing yourself to to do your word dump, allowing yourself to process everything. And I love that you said the God I know isn't like that to, to reprimand in that way. And we, and, and also from your upbringing of pageantry, like we get so trained to look outside of us to an achievement, to others, to our God, our higher power. We look so external for that forgiveness or for the validation and it is not anywhere outside of us so I love that one message and so what are you doing uh, right now in your life to really get your message out there well I am blessed enough to be in a competition it is a the first year of this competition is called the next impactor it is a worldwide competition looking for the person that can most effectively make an impact with their message so we started out with about 200 contestants from all over the world, and it was narrowed down to the top 50. Now we're narrowed down to the top 25. The winner will be announced August 30th in Chicago at Stan, beautiful Stan Manson. Um, it'll be a huge event. Um, I mean, this is going to be the very first international impactor crowning. It's a big deal. And the winner of that will receive a $500,000 media package with their own TV show, um, a published book deal, an international magazine cover, 
thousands and thousands of dollars worth of coaching from philanthropists, business gurus, PR, media experts. I mean, this package will take transparency, which is my message, global in a way that I could never do it on my own, ever. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. I have many things I can talk about. You know, I can talk about abuse, perfectionism. We can talk about each little thing, but... You know, I really learned through this competition with working with my coach, who was a PR media coach, that it all aligns with the one message of transparency. It all falls under that umbrella because yeah. without transparency, I mean, you know, I say transparency is necessary because it's necessary in your workplace. It's necessary in your relationships. It's, it's necessary for you to be transparent with yourself, yeah. be honest and real with yourself because through through being transparent, we can educate. And we're right back to the education leads to judging less, mentoring more. Yes. When I have a chapter in my book called Never Say Never, um, mm -hmm. I was that person. You know, I would see a woman with a black eye and I would pity her and I would think she's just so stupid or poor thing, doesn't she know that's not love? Until I was in those shoes and the amount of control and manipulation that they use on us. They find every insecurity we have and just prey on it. Until I was in that situation, I never understood it. So, you know, don't judge people until you know, because let me tell you, it's a whole other ballgame when you're doing it yourself. Yes, yes. Um, you know, when you were sharing that message and you were talking about transparency and what you're really up to on that grand scale, I heard like, it landed over here. Transparency equals trust. Yeah. You know, it, it, I think that's so important because I too am very committed. I call it my version of that is authentic connection. Yeah. Spare me the weather, spare me how, you know, how your jobs, how you really doing. And here's how I'm really doing. I'm not going to wax on poetic about, you know, life is so good when it's not. When it is, we celebrate. When it's not, we're going to tell the truth about what we've really been through, what we've really gone through, and how we've really faced our demons. And I think I know it has caused so much more trust in my communities and when I get to support a client because I don't play pretend like I'm somebody that I'm not. And exactly. I take a lot of pride in that. And it sounds like you do too. And it it really sounds like you're, you're truly making, you're being the next impactor. Okay. That's you know, not to sound cheeky or wrap it up in some marketing, but it's just like, we're really out there to make an impact. And I do believe that transparency is one of the greatest gifts because there's nothing you have to do, but be yourself. And that's what this Hearts Unleashed podcast is. That's what the mission is and what you're up to. And people understanding that if you show up as you, if you show up real, life will line up for you and it will, and you get to make an authentic difference and meet real people. People, oh, people I get are, so excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I can feel it. People are starving for real people. I know yeah. I am. I'm sick of the fake pictures leaning against somebody else's porch or somebody else's mansion stairs. You know, yeah. I, I just want to be real. And and you said it, it equates to trust. And it's true because one of the most rewarding things I'm getting back from this right now is when I can sit in a room and speak and speak my truth, it allows the people to come to me and give, they feel that they can trust me with their truth. Yes. It allows yes. them door to start their own authenticity, which they've been too scared to do before. So 
it spreads like a wildfire. I mean, think about this. Imagine a world where teens, teenage girls get pregnant and instead of running straight to an abortion clinic because they don't want to tell anybody, transparency can have us a little less judgmental. They can go to their parents and at least discuss their options. Or suicide, to know you're not alone, that other people think those thoughts too. I mean, if we just open up and and not just, and even in the business world, not just about our successes, but what about our failures? Come on, nobody gets to the top without some failures. We all have them, right? So come on, let's quit all this crap about everything's so perfect. I have it so easy. Uh, Just do what I do and you're going to be great. How about, look, you're going to have some failures and this is how it's going to hurt and it's going to do this. But look, let me show you what I did to get out of it. Yeah. You know, that's where the true gold is, right? That's the riches in life right there. Yeah. Not the money. Yeah. Not the money. Totally. And, you know, it. I love that. And I, I completely agree. And it made me think of you sharing your story when, as you were telling it, I kept wondering, wow, I wonder what turned it around for her. I wonder what turned it around for her. And then you shared it. And so you're right. It's like nobody we see who is successful, like even if it appears they were successful seemingly overnight, they've been at work behind the scenes. They have been struggling or whatever. And, you know, some people do have a great come up story and that's wonderful. Sometimes it's sustainable. Sometimes it's not. But ultimately there are tests, trials, and tribulations of your character to be able to sustain success or a healthy lifestyle or making an impact. And so I could not agree more with you. And I think that a lot of people get down on themselves because they see the fluffy side of it, thinking I can never be or do or have that because they make it look, so, how do they look so easy? How is How could it be that simple? And It's not because we're not being transparent. And so thank you for sharing all of that. And thank you for sharing your heart with us and and for being here. And just, you know, man, I've never had somebody go that deep into their story on an episode. And I'm really thrilled for our listeners to hear it and to be able to kind of engage with you. So let us know how can we follow you? How can we contribute and um, support your message and your mission? Okay, well, thank you. Um, So I have a book called What Goes Up. It's made bestseller, and you can find it on Amazon, any of the bookstores. I have recently found out Walmart has bought my book. I'm super excited about that. Target and Walmart have my book. Yes, I can't believe it. Um, So you can also get my book on my website, which is Misty Lane, M-I-S-T-I-E-L-A-Y-N-E.com, MistyLane.com. And you can get a signed version if you get it through my website. How you can support me, it's really about supporting my movement. It's not about me. It's about transparency. If you want to join forces, if you believe that transparency will truly impact the world, then I ask that you vote for me in this competition. The way that the winner will be announced strictly up until now, it's been some coaching. They vetted the process through coaching and projects and things, but now it's up to the world. It's strictly vote. So the way you can vote for me is we started supporting a nonprofit. Each of the five teams in the competition, our nonprofit is disabled, but not really. They were recently featured on the Netflix show Queer Eye, season four, episode two. It's an amazing organization that uses positivity for healing. Um, So the way you can vote for me is to go to my website, mistylane.com. There's a pop-up box that says vote. 
you make a donation to that nonprofit. It's a 5013C, it's tax deductible. Every dollar that I raise through that link on my website for that nonprofit, I get a vote for it. So that is the number one best way you can help with this transparency movement is even if it's a dollar, $5, $1,000, whatever you can do um, and share, share the information that's free. That doesn't cost you a thing, you know, two seconds of your time, share Mm -hmm. the information because there's somebody out there that's going to need to hear this. And there could be someone out there in a position that could really help catapult transparency into the world by making a financial contribution or by helping sponsorships or whatever. So that's the best way that I ask you, please just make a donation of any amount through my website to the voting link. Yeah. And I would also love to encourage listeners that, you know, share her link to donate. Also share this episode because your message, if I heard your story, I, you know, it just, it's so, it, you know, someone, we all know someone who's dealt with substance abuse, domestic abuse, it, like violence and all of it. And so sharing this message, continuing to grow your transparency message, continuing to donate and move you in the next impactor is so wonderful. And um, so you mentioned earlier that this is the next impactor is in Chicago. Yes. It How is in Chicago. I have a lot of lovely listeners from Northwest yeah. Indiana and Chicago and the Midwest That's in general cool. that um, may be able to put, get hands on deck that's amazing actually there's an amazing offer i'm going to offer just for your show right now so we have the big finale which is at the beautiful sand mansion the tickets are selling for 139 and that is for an all-day event we will have some powerhouse speakers from all over the country we have russia we have london we have uh nigeria we've got people from all over coming in to speak um from nine to three Then we'll have a break at seven is the grand finale where the winner will be introduced. And then there's an after party that goes till midnight. So those tickets are 139. However, I've had some sponsorships graciously buy me some center stage tables right in the front of the stage center room. So if you would like to join me and be a guest at my table, I can give you a reduced ticket price of 125. And I will even include a signed copy of my best-selling book for you. I'd love to have you come join me. Um, My Facebook is Misty Lane, M-I-S-T-I-E-L-A-Y-N-E. Send me a message. Let's connect. Um, Come spend the day with me. Let me introduce you to some other impactors because there's 24 other amazing people with amazing stories from human trafficking to cancer to uh, autism. I mean, we've got some amazing people that do an amazing thing and you'll be in a room full of them. So yes. come out. Well, and our, our listeners heard from uh, Teresa Snyder just last week. Yeah. Uh, so she will be there and you will be there. It's so exciting. It's such a unique experience. And for that price, for what you just explained, the day and the and the finale and then the after party, like, oh, I wish I was in town. <laughs> because, oh my gosh, how fun that's going to be. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you so much. Is there, so find you on Facebook. Is that the best way that people can connect with you? That's the best way. I have Instagram. Everything is pretty easy to find me. It's all Misty Lane. My email is Misty Lane at MistyLane.com. You know, Facebook, Misty Lane. Instagram is Misty underscore Lane. I'm pretty easy to find. 
And I'll be sure yeah. to include all the links in the show notes, but Misty, thank you so much for being with us today. It's thank you for sharing your journey as we've talked about, but, um, that, what you talk about with self-forgiveness, I just can't speak highly enough about it. And I can't recommend it enough because you truly are the one who gets to practice your own power of choice and self-forgiveness. And so thank you for being a shining example of that in the world. Thank you for turning your tragedy into your triumph. Yes. And I want to thank you for this platform because people with a message wouldn't be able to get it out in the world if it weren't for people like you. So I appreciate you and I thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you hearts for tuning into the hearts unleashed podcast. I can imagine today's episode inspired you. Be sure to check out Misty. Be sure to share this episode, leave us a review and let us know how it impacted you because here at the hearts unleashed podcast, we are turning dreamers into doers. Thanks for tuning in to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We hope you found all the inspiration that you needed today and that you use it to take the next inspired action on your dreams. If you loved the show, share it with a friend. We love spreading the love. For more information, to listen to more episodes, or to shop Hearts Unleashed, head over to heartsunleashed.com. See you next time, hearts.